With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. All right, welcome back. Crossover NBA podcast. On this episode, it is an interesting time in Los Angeles for the Lakers. LeBron James and Anthony Davis are out. Andre Drummond is in, and Kyle Lowry was almost a Laker. To talk about that and the state of the Lakers, I bring in Dan Wojcik. He does a great job covering the team for the Los Angeles Times. A little bit later on, Jeremy Wu, SI's NBA draft analyst. He is in Indianapolis for the NCAA tournament doing some NBA scouting there. He has been talking to people for the last couple of weeks. We get into the top of the draft, whether it's Cade Cunningham or Evan Mobley, some of the guys teams are looking at on Gonzaga, some sleepers that are out there, and just how deep is the lottery level of the draft. I get into that and much more with Jeremy Wu. Quick housekeeping note, as always, best way to support this podcast, get over to Apple Podcasts, post a comment, leave a rating. It's simple, it's easy, it's free. It's the best way to make sure that we keep doing this podcast week after week. That's it. All right, on to the show. This is The Crossover, an NBA show hosted by Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix and Howard Back. It's a whole new level for you and me, Chris, this relationship. Like and subscribe for the best weekly NBA content these two are capable of. What does that mean? Could be the best duo ever. I don't see how you can beat that. Here they are, Chris Mannix and Howard Back. All right, so interesting times in Los Angeles with the Lakers. The team's struggling right now with the absence of Anthony Davis and LeBron James. You have Andre Drummond recently signed on to play center for the Lakers, a failed trade that would have brought in Kyle Lowry. For a state of the Lakers discussion, I want to bring in Dan Wojcik. He does a great job covering the Lakers for the LA Times. And uh, Dan, I, I guess I guess let's start right there off the top. The the failed trade that would have brought Kyle Lowry to the Lakers. The Lakers were in it, as far as I know, uh, up until that last hour. Uh, a deal didn't get done. Uh, what do you know about that? Like, what what was what happened yeah. with the Lakers and Kyle Lowry? 
I mean, I think they were really interested, and I think it was a couple of re- for a couple of reasons. I think obviously their extension talks with Dennis Schroeder have kind of maxed out at this point. Um, they have offered what they could, and Dennis Schroeder thinks he can get more. So that's a little bit of an impasse. I mean, he's been pretty open about it. He's like, I want to be a Laker, but I also want a good deal. And the best possible deal can't come for him until the summer, right? So that's where he's at. Well, that made some people – that makes people a little nervous, you know. Um, you start to worry uh, about kind of what he's looking for. I think that was part of it. I think a- another part of it is that um, – let's be obvious there's tremendous respect for Kyle Lowry within championship organizations all over this league. Right. Like, I mean, he is as plug and play of a, of a point guard as there is in the NBA. He instantly makes you better. He doesn't take a ton of shots away from your superstars. If you're full, he's great for your culture. Um, You know, he, he plays incredibly hard and he's got tremendous experience. So there's that in addition to that, Um, you you know, and then I, I, I mean, I think that they just, they kind of looked at their situation and, and they kind of realized they need to get better. Um, and part of getting better is you look at Brooklyn um, and then you look kind of around the West and, and you see where that's at. And then you kind of look internally. Um, but I think Chris, like for the Lakers, there was a sticking point in this, um, a bridge they weren't willing to cross and that's Taylor Horton Tucker. And ultimately, right. Like you're not going to get that trade done unless you include your best young player. Um and the Lakers don't have very many quote unquote best young players to kick around in these trades. So you really only get one chance to trade that guy if you're going to trade him, Right. And so if you're going to do it, um, you, you can't do it for a player that you're not quite sure sort of what his long-term plans are. You can, you know, you don't know if he's going to want to stay, you don't know if he's going to want to be extended or, or re-signed in free agency or even what that kind of cost is going to look like. And, and if you can't make that work, you're probably not going to trade your, your 20 year old, um, for what would have potentially been a rental. And I think that's kind of – that was sort of the impasse, right? So, like, yeah, they talked, and I think they were close on a framework, but there were some, like – there were some pretty significant deal breakers that were in place too. My instant reaction to that deal not going through was I thought the Lakers did the right thing. I mean, Schroeder's been great for that team, as you know. Uh, what They were 0-4 mm-hmm. in the games he didn't play because of the COVID protocols. Uh, he's been invaluable to that group. And yeah, there are some issues long-term, but in a vacuum for this season, uh, maybe Kyle Lowry makes you better, but I'm not sure it's appreciably better. And I don't think you you do the deal if it means giving up Horton Tucker. I mean, you need to have young, cheap talent on that roster uh, to, to to build it out over the next uh, couple of years. So I, I was glad, or not glad, but I think the Lakers made the right decision there uh, with uh, with uh, not acquired. Did you, I mean, was that your takeaway? Did you feel like the Lakers? Um, so I'm like kind of a Kyle Lowry, like sort of like fan. Like, a, and I think it was because I spent that, that playoff run, Chris, like in my former life as like the national guy at the LA Times um, in Toronto, pretty much yeah. for an entire playoff run because uh, obviously the Clippers were chasing Kawhi. Um, and watching Kyle Lowry like impact those games in just like every possible non-box score way on a nightly basis to me was eye-opening, um, you know, for a guy that still gets good numbers. But like when you just see it all the time, I remember it was sort of like, I mean, you know, they're similar point guards. I think Chris Paul is better, but, you know, covering Chris Paul on a nightly basis, like I would just marvel at sort of his level of like control 
and his level of sort of feistiness, right? Like fight, like and and those those don't always show up in numbers. And I, and there are similar things I think with Kyle Lowry, just sort of his toughness, sort of what having him around meant to sort of what kind of team you were going to be. And, 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 and that way, you know, I think I, at, at first my initial blush was like, well, you know, I mean, is Taylor Horton Tucker going to keep you from having that, you know, and that's risky. I, I think though, secondly, and, and this is the most important thing. And I think you kind of asked for a state of the Lakers, right. And, and it, it's what's making my job a little bit of a grind right now is because I feel like um, I'm asked to write a lot of words about this, but it's really actually pretty simple. Um, if LeBron James and Anthony Davis are healthy, the Lakers feel reasonably good about their ability to win a championship. If LeBron James and Anthony Davis aren't healthy, um, a, even a trade for Kyle Lowry wouldn't shift that fate. Mm-hmm. You, you know, so, so it's really kind of all lines up on that. So, yeah, like, <clears throat> does Kyle Lowry give you a little bit better chance to win this year? I think he does. It's a little bit better of a chance. Um, how much better? I don't know. And I guess considering, again, the the big question, does it ultimately would it have mattered? It's, it's really hard to know. So I, I think kind of as I pulled back from it, I, I think really everything is sort of in the trainer's hands at this point. And, and, you know, with hoping that those two guys heal, because if they don't, they're, they're kind of in trouble anyways. All right. So speaking about making the Lakers better. Andre Drummond was officially announced this week, the signing rest of the year contract uh, with LA. I uh, thought he said all the right things, Dan, at the introductory press conference, talked about being a defensive anchor, uh, just being here to win, how hungry he was for a chance to compete for a championship after 10 years of basically basketball purgatory in Detroit uh, and Cleveland. Uh, you know, we, we kind of talked about Kyle Lowry. Would he make the Lakers appreciably better? Would he you know, make the Lakers more of a title contender. How do you feel about Drummond? You know, does he make the Lakers significantly better? I mean, I, I think he gives them a dimension that they haven't had all year, and it, and it feels like when they've lacked, right? Like, I think, again, pull. let's pull all the way back and say, you know, what do they miss most? Well, they miss rim protection from last year. They were still the best defense in this league. Um, I think they still are number one, even though they're missing, you know, they're probably their two best defenders right now. In the that, that's that's why that stat always just boggles the mind. Like, you know, the Lakers have been getting pureed defensively last few games. And it's like, oh, we're still number one standings. Like, how yeah. good were yeah, they, they before? Really, they had really built, you know, a pretty a pretty healthy cushion doing it kind of this other way, right? And and you can protect the rim in more than one way. Like, it doesn't just mean blocking shots. Like, Montrezl Harrell's a rim protector because he draws a bunch of charges. You know, so, like, they've, they've done it differently. Um, but I do think that, like, he just makes them more credible against some of the really good centers that, that they're likely to see along the way. Right. It's just, it's so much easier to go into, um, especially considering that, you know, we kind of know that that's not really what Anthony Davis wants to do uh, on a regular basis that like you can go into a series against Utah and you've got someone who can, you know, can uh, collide with Rudy Gobert on lobs, right? Like you've got someone who is quick enough um, at least in practice to, to, you know, who can kind of credibly try to slow down Nikola Jokic or Yusuf Nurkic or, you know, if it's the finals, Joel Embiid perhaps, you know, like they're, they're, it gives them a flexibility that they didn't have. Uh, it's funny, you you mentioned sort of like how he said everything right in the short term. Um, you, you know, to me, it's, it's, I mean, he was very polite, right, Chris? Like he was very polite. Um, but like, let's be honest about the situation too, right? Like he, he is coming into a situation where in the playoffs, like he is going to be asked to be very complimentary 
Um, there is a massive void right now for a player who can put the ball in the basket in any way. Like, like the Lakers need his 18 points a game. Mm-hmm. Um, he is going to get touches. He is going to get um, an opportunity to showcase his skills offensively here. It, it is really actually truly like a best case scenario for him as a, as an upcoming free agent. One, he gets a chance to impact winning. Two, he gets to start, which was important to him, and, and, and reestablish his value beyond being this player that the Lakers are paying, you know, a, a prorated minimum contract for. And I think three um, is is that, you know, it's not just, like, come set screens for LeBron. Like, the, this this offense needs help, Chris. Mm. Like, like, seriously needs help. And he's going to get a chance to shoot a lot. And um, – I don't know what that says about kind of the overall state of the Lakers, you know, that, that he is going to get that opportunity, but, but they, they need his scoring too. So you think he'll have a bigger role than say Dwight Howard had a year ago? I think so. Um, I mean, I, honestly, I mean, we'll see, right? Like, but I mean, they're going to plug him into the starting lineup. I think they've, they have found a nice little rhythm with Montrez Harrell, um, you know, as, as the bench big, that sort of, you know, that's just a role that he's become an expert at um, with the Clippers that, you know, he's a guy who can score 17 points and grab 10 rebounds in 20 minutes. Um, so you got to find, you know, you're going to play those other 28 minutes of center right now, especially with no Anthony Davis. Like, I, I mean, I think that's going to be him. I think it's going to be a, a much more featured role, um, especially in the short term, just considering that they don't have a lot of guys to feature. Yeah. Look, I, I, I'm actually really excited to see what Drummond's got because I'm one of the people, and I don't know where you stand on this, I never bought into the whole Andre Drummond is just empty calories stuff because, like, the guy might be the most dominant rebounder of this generation. Like, he's great at rebounding the basketball. And it hasn't been his fault that he has been on shitty Detroit teams and a Cavaliers team, briefly, that was going nowhere and decided that Jared Allen was the better investment. Fair play to them. I think Jared Allen, for them, probably is the better investment. But For sure. I, I think Andre Drummond's really good. Like, I think you put him in a winning situation, he is going to make a lot of winning plays. He might make some bonehead ones along the way, but that kind of comes with the territory. But I think the winning plays are going to vastly outnumber the bad ones for Andre Drummond. I can, I'm, I'm I, can say, I can tell you what I'm not excited about, Chris, and that's covering someone who shoots like 43% from the free throw line again after all uh, my years of, 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 of DeAndre Jordaning. Um, luckily, that's mostly faded out of the league, so I'm not going to have to deal with any of these like 23 attempt, you know, 11 for 23 nights or something like that. But I think... Um, no, you don't, th- I mean, you don't think Hacka Drummond could come back? Hacka Drummond might come back. God, I, I, I hope not. Um, he plays enough minutes, you know, Dan. Hacka Drummond's going to come back. At, at, le- at least there'll be no fans there to walk out in disgust when it happens, um, or certainly less. I, I think uh, it's a good it's a good question, Chris. You know, I think my my honest answer, and, and this probably speaks to the situation, is I haven't spent a ton of time in my life thinking about Andre Drummond. Mm. You know, like really, um, you know, beyond again, like like the great numbers that have that have been compiled on teams that haven't been factors. And you know, when we've talked to him, talked to him twice now since he signed. Um, you know, like this is a guy who seems really excited to kind of showcase sort of, you know, what he does in a winning atmosphere. And I think, you know, as he goes into this free agency, that'll, it'll determine a lot of, you know, what kind of what his decision-making is. It'll determine what his market is. Like, you know, is he a guy that a team that has realistic hopes of, of winning a title, will they chase a player like that? Or is he somebody 
who's better suited to, to go play on a team that's kind of capped at maybe being the sixth seed or something like that. Cause that's really what he's been in his career. Um, again, that's not his fault per se. Um, you need to be around, especially if you're a, a pick and roll center, like you probably need someone to run that with you and get you the ball and put you in good positions. And look with the Lakers, especially at full strength, you know, um, you have the best pick and roll player in the world, uh, LeBron James, and um, you've got a pretty good one in Dennis Schroeder too. And, and I think, uh, especially in the short term, I think that Schroeder drum and pick and roll um, will be kind of a, a really good get you up to speed type of a situation for him. And, and hopefully they can build on something so that when the Lakers do come back together as a full team, um, you know, it's, it's an easier adjustment. See, I have, Dan, given a lot of thought to Andre Drummond because over the last three years he has been connected to Boston. And every time I've yes. done every time I've done Boston TV, I've had some form of an argument with Brian Scalabrini about the merits of acquiring Drummond. And I have often been, always been, I think, pro-Drummond, whereas Scal has been more anti-Drummond at times. So I'm anxious to see what kind of numbers and how productive he is uh, on a winning team. Last thing I want to ask you about. Uh, the injuries are the biggest issue. You touched on this. Healthy LeBron, AD, Lakers still favorite to win a championship no matter where they're seated, or at the very least to get out of the Western Conference no matter where mm. uh, they are seated. Uh, LeBron's injury, you know, whatever. It's a high ankle sprain. It's going to take however long it takes to heal, and I, I would assume he'll be back in the mix and playing like LeBron again. The AD injury, I don't know. Where do, we, where do the Lakers stand on Anthony Davis here? Because that's one of those injuries that – you worry about, right? Because if you come back too soon, you can exacerbate it. It can get worse. And look, the Lakers aren't giving any kind of firm timeline on when AD could come back. I talked to someone there over the weekend who said maybe a few weeks at this point. So we we, we could still be a ways away from Anthony Davis. Is there, I mean, is there any concern you think amongst the Lakers about, you know, this injury that seems to be lingering for AD? Um, I don't think there's any extra concern other than sort of the standard level, right? Like, I mean, look, they also know who they're talking, who they're dealing with, right? And um, they know that for Anthony Davis to be as effective as he can be, it's best that he's not looking down at the back of his leg, you know, worrying about a pull or a, a twinge or something like that, right? Like, that's Anthony Davis very in touch with, with, you know, with where he's at on the injury injury side of things. And I'm not saying he's not a tough player. I'm saying that like, this is someone though, who's been banged up a lot in that way. And has, and has, you know, played through a lot of these bumps and bruises throughout his career, but has always seemed to notice that. Right. And, and, and I think, um, so they don't want him to be hesitant. Uh, that, that's really important in this process. So they've been very deliberate. Um, they haven't really offered us, any firm timelines. I know when I first talked to people in the aftermath of this, um, you know, it was kind of like the, the overall arch, the overarching theme was like, he's going to be fine. Right now. The going to be is sort of like, how long is that stretch? Right. Is, is it, um, is that going to be two months and he's going to be fine? Is it going to be two weeks? It's obviously been more like two months. Um, we see him on the court um, getting up, you know, really light jump shots and stuff like that. I can say this is just like someone he's been at every game um, and he like works the sideline. Like you would not know that he's hurt, that he has like a lower leg injury. Like he's not limping. Like the gait looks fine. All of that stuff. You watch him kind of jog out on the court. Like he looks like a normal functioning NBA athlete right now. I don't know what's going on underneath kind of, you know, the, the, the calf muscles with the tissues and the fibers and stuff like that. 
but but it, it seems like they've just been progressing. And again, if Chris, we know we while I am a smart person, Chris, I will say, that, um, I, I you know if if I can put together the fact that like this really only matters if those two guys are healthy, like you, I, the Lakers know that too, right? And um, they know that if they were to push Anthony Davis back and, and were to hang on to the four seed. Um, but he's not at 100% come the start of the playoffs. Like that's a, they're in a way worse position than even if they're probably the the seven seed or the eight seed in the play-in. If Anthony Davis is healthy. well, I I get that and, and I agree entirely. Like no matter what, you sit him out. All that being said, like I mean, how much how concerned should the Lakers be mm-hmm. just that they wind up in that spot? Like I'm looking at their schedule yeah. in front of me. Like the next 13 games. Basically all against playoff teams or would-be playoff teams. The bottom of that is probably Sacramento, and they're playing the best basketball of anyone you know, right mm-hmm. now. So it's like, you look at that schedule, Dan, and, and thank God the Lakers got those last two wins. You know, they beat up on Cleveland and, and they top to or, And they were easy wins. No, and you, but yeah. you had to have those two wins or else this could get really ugly. That might have you know, pulled their fat out of the fire a little bit, but these next two weeks, three weeks, if we assume Davis and LeBron are not going to be part of it, man, that, that could get pretty ugly you know, for the Lakers. Yeah, I mean, it's a question I've asked. It's something I've written. It's like, how much you're willing to stomach over this over this period, right? And it's it's going to be a lot, probably. You're going to have to stomach <laughs> a lot. You're going to have to go through some pretty ugly stretches. I think uh, the one thing that the Lakers c- can take a little comfort with in this league, at least, is that you know if you are really good defensively most nights, like you'll be in it, right? And they'll be nights when they are a better shooting team than their numbers say they are. And they may steal a win or two along the way, um, you know, and if they're just good enough defensively, that'll keep them sort of afloat. Um, they've taken great offense. Montrose Harrell specifically is taking great offense to our questions kind of along the lines of like, you know, what, what's it going to take to tread water during this stretch? Um, you know, like that is not what he said their focus is. But I think anybody with any real level of realism kind of knows the situation here. And, like, they are playing this out. They are like a quarterback um, that has been blitzed from both cornerbacks, and you're just scrambling around, right? And it's just you're trying your best not to get hit. And I think um, that's where they're at right now, Chris. And here's the other thing, too, right, is, like, um, you know, they can't afford a- another little hiccup either, right? Like an Alex Caruso sprained ankle, like, all of a sudden means even more to them now than it would normally. Um you know, if Contavious Caldwell Pope were to pull a hamstring, or if Montrez Harrell were to have a, a hip issue or something like that, and, and you know they've played some, the style they're playing right now is pretty physical, and um, we've seen guys kind of, you know, we saw Montrez Harrell, um, you know, knock knees with someone and limped up the court, and there was kind of a feeling like, oh, like here we go again, like KCP grabbing at his back, like, different stuff. I mean, um, this is a team that's been physically taxed, and uh, when you're missing your, obviously your two huge superstars, like your margins are so small that like, you know, it's like they can't really take on a lot more else. Yeah. You know, somehow I think Dan, this ends badly for the Utah jazz because the Utah jazz have two games against the Lakers in mid April. And like maybe LeBron and AD are back for those two. And then all of a sudden the Lakers are sitting there at like the eight seed and they get into the playoffs Mm -hmm. healthy and they get to play Utah, uh, which is like celebrating it's, best season in years and they get the Lakers. Yeah. Just you gotta feel somebody's gonna get screwed by the Lakers return to health. And I think you're gonna see some interesting jockeying for uh seeding at the top, whether it's from Phoenix or 
<laughs> Utah, whoever, try to avoid the Lakers in that first round. Interesting I, I jacking. It. Interesting jacking is a nice way of you saying losing on purpose. I appreciate. <laughs> I mean, I, I try to uh, you know try to balance things out a little bit. Uh, Dan, appreciate the time, man. Enjoy uh, the next few weeks. I have a feeling you might be writing about some uh, some ugly games out there in Los Angeles. Thanks. Looking forward to it. When we come back, SI NBA draft analyst Jeremy Wood. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month no matter what kind of entertainment you love addicted to true crime catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on a e crime central crave adventure explore asian action movies on hayah searching for something extreme check out skating snowboarding and more on fuel tv plus the global home of action sports and find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's hit nation playlist there's new free shows and movies to love every week say free this week in your xfinity voice remote all right, the NBA trade deadline is behind us. Most of the buyout players have found new teams. So we turn now to the next big moment on the NBA calendar, and that is the NBA draft. All eyes amongst NBA executives right now on Indianapolis, where the NCAA tournament is taking place. Uh, also in Indianapolis is our own Jeremy Wu, SI's NBA draft analyst. He has been watching the tournament throughout, and uh, he joins me here uh, on the show. How is Indianapolis, Jeremy? It's good, man. You know, it's it's weird for me, and I think a lot of you know teams too, uh, in some sense, where everyone's had this experience of going, uh, you know, more or less a year without really scouting anything live. You know, if you didn't go to the bubble or whatever, uh, you know, conference tournaments this month, and then you know the NCAA tournament here. Uh, have sort of been the first uh, opportunities for, you know, I think, teams to kind of all, you know, target the same games and see a lot of players in one stop. Uh, so I think, you know, it hasn't been like a normal year where there's just tons of people everywhere at these types of uh, things and whatnot. But I think there's there's been a sizable, you know, NBA contingent. People have come in and out. You know, there have been, you know, GMs coming in and out. It's not like this is not being scouted. 
you know, this has been uh, pretty convenient, all things considered. Uh, and for me, you know, being able to see all these guys sort of in one place uh, and a lot of, you know, lottery level players uh, has been uh, kind of a treat. So I can't complain too much. So let's start with the player or players that are generating the most chatter amongst NBA executives. Who would you say is uh, creating the most buzz or has created the most buzz over the last few weeks? No question the biggest story here in Indy has been uh, Evan Mobley uh, and USC and what the Trojans have been able to do here in the tournament, uh, you know, going into a lead eight game with Gonzaga as a number six seed. Uh, you know, they might have been a little bit underseeded. You know, as we've seen, the Pac-12 uh, has, has been pretty good all around in this tournament. You know, UCLA uh, has played great. Um, you know, Oregon and Oregon State, you know, both got uh, pretty far. Uh, but, you know, Mobley, I think, you know, coming into this tournament, I wasn't sure if he had a chance to really unseat Cade Cunningham as the number one pick. Uh, now I think there's a chance. Uh, I, I think it's still a little bit soon to call, but – uh, you know, now it's shaping up like a situation where it's going to depend on who has the pick. Uh, you know, it's pretty close between Mobley and Cunningham in terms of quality. You know, they bring different things to the table. They play different positions. Uh, but, you know, if there was a pathway for Mobley to do it, uh, this is pretty much what it's what it looks like. And so, you know, whether or not USC is able to beat Gonzaga, uh, you know, I think his his work here is kind of done where he's, he's made a really strong case for himself um, just with the impact that he makes at this level. How big a jump has he made in the tournament versus what you saw from him in the regular season? Yeah, you know, I don't know if it's so much that there's been a jump. You know, he's been really good all year. Uh, but I think just being able to see him and the way that they're stringing wins together now, uh, you know, you know, for me, you know, I, I watched plenty of their games and I was familiar with him in high school. Um, but, but something about, you know, seeing him live at this level and the way that he has really raised his game and just getting to see it uh, in person, you know, I think, the questions I had coming out of his senior year of high school were just sort of, you know, there were games where he looked a little bit bored. Uh, sometimes it's hard to know what to make of that. You know, guys might be having a bad day, you know, and especially with bigs, like I think we've kind of grown to, uh, at least for me, and you know, I think their scouts would tell you this, you know, bigs develop differently. And so uh, sometimes we're too fast to be like that guy's low motor, right. Or like criticize how hard a guy plays. Um, but we you know with mobile, you see it, you know, the effort is really there. It's just that he's very unselfish. Um, he's not necessarily going to dominate a game as a scorer, but right now he doesn't have to because so much of what USC is doing is winning through defense. Uh, and their defense is really elite, and it's because of him. Uh, you know, the way he can affect shots. Uh, he doesn't foul. Uh, he's got great size and length. Um, and I think, uh, you know, he stacks up really well against, you know, if we talk about the elite center prospects, you know, who are top three, four picks in the last decade, you know, Evan is up there. Uh, and I think coming into the year, that wasn't 100% clear, and, and now I think uh, there's no question. Is there an NBA comp that you can think of for Evan Mobley? I mean, somebody either playing now or has played? Yeah, so I always feel bad saying this. He's sort of a hybrid of different guys. Like, I don't want to say – like, look, like he reminds me a little bit of, like, a young Tim Duncan. And I'm not saying he's going to be Tim Duncan, right? I'm just saying in terms of his skill set. There's some um, lofty praise right that's the there. Thing. I, try, I try to, you know, cushion that. I'm, like, I'm not saying he's going to be that because that's, you know, one of the best players of all time. But – if we're talking about, you know, the way he impacts the game defensively, you know, his passing, uh, you know, he's not built the same way. You know, Tim was always stronger, um, but but Evan is more probably more mobile. Uh, I think he has a little bit of, like, LaMarcus Aldridge to his game eventually as he becomes a better shooter. Like, I think he could be that type of player on offense. Uh, but, you know, defensively, you know, just one of the best college shot blockers, probably since Anthony Davis in terms of just projection for a college shot blocking big. 
Um, so you can kind of see, I mean, guys like that, uh, you know, tend to succeed in the NBA when you have that type of impact on both ends of the floor. And, you know, I think one thing that we may see trend wise in the next few years is uh, you kind of get the sense now teams are getting a little bit tired of like, I think, you know, for, and you, you know, I don't know what you think about this, but it's, it felt like for a few years, everyone was trying to find a Clint Capella. Uh, but now I think we're kind of seeing, you know, that rim runner type guy uh, being marginalized a little bit because of the way that skilled centers are now sort of dominating play where it's like, you're talking about a Jokic or, a, um, you know, Embiid, like these guys are, you know, offensive outlets. There's not many of them. Right. But when you have one, it's pretty, it's pretty uh, game changing. And so, you know, Evan, he may not be that type of high usage guy because you're going to have to force speed him. He's not always very aggressive as a scorer. I think that's one of the knocks on him. Uh, he'll have to keep going into that. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a chance that you can run offense through him. He's a good enough passer. He has a diverse enough skill set, being able to shoot a jumper. Uh, he's really comfortable shooting his hook shot with his right hand already. Uh, you know, he can rim run, he can catch a lob, he can, you know, work the glass. Um, and again, it's like, you know, 10 years ago, people would be concerned about him weighing 215 pounds. Uh, but in the NBA today, there, you know, not a lot of teams even really post up. Uh, so it's hard to say that that's going to really diminish his value, you know, even if he's rotating over and blocking the shot. You know, he'll get a little bit stronger. Uh, but, you know, I think this is all pointing in a really good direction for him. And it's, it's going to depend, like I said, uh, who has the pick. You know, it's not, it's not a clear-cut Cunningham. It's like more like 1A, 1B, the way I look at it. Yeah, I think centers are coming back in a way. Um, you look at the MVP race right now, there are at least two, maybe three centers in that mix with Jokic, Embiid. You can throw Rudy Gobert the season he's having into that group. And, you know, kind of to address what you said, I don't know that the desire for rim runners is going away. I, I just think there's a desire for top flight centers, whether it's guys that do rim run like uh, Clint Capella, Robert Williams is starting to have some success in Boston. Uh, the high skill guys are obviously incredibly valuable, like Nikola Jokic, though. How many of those exist, I don't know. And even like James Wiseman, who's probably more of a physical guy. Uh, I think his his value is clear to Golden State both now and in the future. So I think you know the where centers were seemed to be like a dying breed 10 years ago, I think they're starting to mount a comeback in the NBA. But you kind of touched on my next question. Do you think it's a two-man race right now between uh, – Cade Cunningham and Evan Mobley for that top spot? Yeah, if I had to handicap it, I would say that with some confidence. Um, you know, I mean, I felt pretty good about Cunningham all year. Uh, he didn't do anything necessarily to, like, lose that spot. Um, you know, and I haven't decided fully. You know, for me, Cade is still number one, uh, and I'm still kind of digging into it how I feel. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think you could criticize someone for having either guy one, one or two. Uh, I think, you know, Jalen Suggs and Jalen Green are probably going to be three and four and are kind of settling in. You know, Suggs obviously is here with Gonzaga. Uh, they have a chance to, you know, go to the final four, win the championship. They're undefeated. Um, I, I don't know what he could do necessarily to, like, leapfrog those guys. But, again, it doesn't really matter in so much. It's just really about fit um, for these guys. And, you know, it, it kind of just points to, you know, the, the quality of this draft at the top is pretty solid. Um but, uh, you know, in the case of Cunningham, you know, I was there when Oklahoma State lost. Uh, and it was really useful for me just, you know, I've seen Cade play probably a dozen times before college. So it wasn't like I needed to really see him to know what he can do. But, uh, you know, understanding the context of that team uh, where he did not have a ton of help. And again, it's like sometimes it feels like we just make this excuse for players we like. But I, I feel pretty confident that, uh, you know, when you put him around guys who have really high basketball IQ, uh, who are you know more capable shooters and cutters, and you play a lot of pick and roll. You know he's going to be uh, a lot more effective uh, in a lot of ways. So 
uh, you know, it, it wasn't like anything he did. Them losing really hurt my opinion of him, and I don't think it should. Uh, you know, they got pretty far as it is with, without a ton besides him. So talk to me about Jalen Suggs a little bit because watching him, you know, whenever you see like a 6'4 guy with athleticism, you start to think that Russell Westbrook comp um, a little bit. He's a great defender, it seems like, from from watching him play. Uh, where does he fit in? What, what is? Give me some NBA projections for Jalen Suggs. Yeah, you know, he's – I think coming into the year, I was a little bit lower on him, just not knowing enough. Um, he was a player who I did not see as much as some of these other guys before they got to college. Um, but I think it was pretty clear from that first Gonzaga game when they beat Canvas, uh, you know, that he was, uh, you know, going to make a statement and kind of, you know, insert himself into that, you know, very early mix in the draft. Um, I think the question is just, is he going to be like, you know, a really, really good third best player, right? Which is, you know, pro- I-, I think his floor is probably really good solid starter. Uh, or is there another level to him where he can continue to uh, expand offensively? You know, I, I I feel like Westbrook is probably lofty, but you know, it doesn't really matter. Like the the point being, you know, can he be a higher usage guy who is your lead guard? Uh, but you know, the, in truth, I think one of the nice things about Suggs is that he can do both, uh, and I think he's comfortable doing both, and he's done both in terms of, you know, for Gonzaga right now, he plays more of a nominal point guard role, uh, but you know, he's comfortable playing the two as well. Uh, I think the big swing skill for him is just how much better of a shooter he'll become. Uh, you know, it kind of comes and goes a little bit in terms of his three-point range. Uh, but he's such a good athlete, uh, and he's very good at sort of exploding in the, into small spaces. Uh, so he can get to the rim pretty easily, and he gets such good elevation uh, that, you know, the angles he takes are kind of it's not as important because he's almost always, like, at the rim when he finishes. Um, but, again, if the teams can go under ball screens on him, uh, it's probably going to cap how much offense you want to run through him in terms of points. But – this is kind of nitpicking. I mean, he, he's pretty solid and he's mm. tough and, you know, he's athletic and he likes to play defense. And, you know, people are going to talk so much about his football mentality. He has a football background, and but it is significant in terms of his physicality and, you know, just his embrace of, uh, you know, that, that part of, of the game um, that not a lot of young guys have now, right? So uh, I think, you know, him and Jalen Green, you can kind of argue it either way. Uh, it's going to depend on who's picking, but you, you're not going to feel bad walking away with him. You know, he's going to be a, a piece. Talk to me about the rest of those Gonzaga guys, because, you know, for a long time, Gonzaga wasn't you know, producing a ton of NBA guys. They had the periodic, you know, John Stockton, of course, probably the most uh, impressive. Then you had, you know, the Rui, uh, not Rui, we'll get to Rui Hashimura, but uh, Ronnie Turioff was in that mix of, uh, Adam Morrison, of course, probably the one of the more recent famous guys getting drafted high uh, out of uh, Gonzaga. But nowadays, you got Brandon Clark, uh, Rui Hashimura, uh, Demonta Sabonis came out of Gonzaga, uh, Zach Collins recently out of Gonzaga. They're starting to produce more NBA high level NBA talent, really good NBA talent. Uh, how many NBA prospects do they have on that roster? Yeah, um, so I think you know, obviously, there's subs who. Um, you know, is going to be, you know, the first, like, you know, Zach Collins was one and done, but it wasn't like a guy people expected that to happen. You know, Suggs is like the first real, like, blue chip. This guy knows he's coming here for one year, the guy that they've gotten. Uh, so, you know, you have Suggs. Um, but, you know, then you've got Corey Kispert, who, uh, you know, is sort of projected as sort of like a back-end lottery guy, you know, won't fall out of the top, you know, 15, 16 picks. Uh, you know, Kispert is 22. He's a little bit older. I think, you know, you're naturally that 
always raises the question, well, how high do you want to take a 22 year old, um, you know, if you're picking in the lottery, but you know, he's, he's probably the best shooter in college basketball. I think he's shooting 46% or something from a three, which is, you know, wild. Um, he's just going to knock down clean looks right away in the NBA. Uh, and he's big enough that on defense, you know, he may not be, he won't be like a plus defender, but he's not going to like, he probably won't kill you on defense either. Uh, you know, he's smart. He's continued to improve his, his overall offensive game. Uh, I think he's looked at as sort of a bankable, you know, long time role player who will be able to start um, depending on what team he's on. Um, and then, you know, the guy I really like is Joel Ayayi, uh, you know, their French guard who uh, is kind of the, the fourth name you hear a lot of the time in the context of that team. Uh, Drew Timmy uh, is their, you know, other really good player. Uh, he's a little bit trickier of an NBA evaluation uh, with the way he plays at center. He's not, you know, big athlete, super skilled. Uh, but Ayayi is the guy who I'm very curious about, uh, who I think has a chance and probably deserves to go you know, in the first round, uh, but isn't necessarily talked about that way yet. Um, but he's just, you know, he's such a good complimentary player, uh, can really rebound, has improved as a shooter, great passer, very unselfish. Uh, and this kind of like checks a lot of those key boxes uh, that sometimes get overlooked when we're talking about the draft because everyone wants, you know, someone you can develop into a star. He might not be that, but he's probably going to play in the NBA for a long time with what he does do well. Uh, so, you know, those four guys, uh, you know, Suggs, Kispert, Ayayi, and, and Timmy are kind of the, the crux of why they're so good. They're all very quick decision makers. Um, if, if Timmy doesn't play in the NBA, he'll be a high-level pro if, in somewhere else. Um, so, you know, they are every bit of as good as uh, the hype that they've gotten. All right, so we're still a few months away from the NBA draft lottery, which is around the time that I start to hear from executives who define the lottery, who say, oh, it's, it's five players deep, it's six players deep. We like anybody within seven players of this draft. What's your perception of this draft right now? Like, how deep is it at the top before you start getting into players with bigger question marks? Yeah, I've talked to a lot of people about this, uh, you know, people I've seen in Indy, you know, the guys who I talk to regularly around the NBA. And I think the consensus is pretty clearly everyone feels comfortable with like five players. And then I think probably the burning question right now is like, who is the sixth best prospect? And that's going to be different depending on who you talk to. I mean, the top five would be Cunningham, Mobley, Green, Suggs, and then Jonathan Kaminga is, is in that picture somewhere in terms of who we would expect, you know, to be the first five guys off the board. Uh, but when you get to that sixth spot is kind of where things get, uh, you know, tougher. And you could really say six through about like, you know, down to like 15 through 18 or whatever um, is very much in flux. Uh, and then after that, there's a big group. Uh, but, to, you know, but to get back to the lottery, I mean, you know, there have been a few guys here who I've seen who were kind of in that mix, you know, to go after that first five. And, you know, Franz Wagner from Michigan is starting to make an interesting case. Uh, you know, I, he's a guy who we had projected for the lottery. Uh, Michigan has continued to win without Isaiah Livers, who's one of their key players. And Wagner has been really, really good. Uh, he's just, you know, very smart, very versatile, and has great size. You know, his brother, obviously, is Mo Wagner. Uh, and, you know, Keon Johnson from Tennessee uh, is someone who I think comes with a little bit of risk if you're taking him high in the lottery. But everyone's kind of starting to talk themselves into him a little bit, just with how hard he plays. And, uh, his athleticism. So he's an interesting one. Uh, you know, James Booknight from UConn was here. I didn't see UConn in the tournament, but, you know, I think James Booknight will be in those conversations too, as far as the six, seven, eight. Uh, and then to a lesser extent, you know, Scotty Barnes in Florida State. Uh, you've got Moses Moody from Arkansas. You know, both those guys were here. I uh, didn't have great tournaments, but, you know, we're here and, and we're, we're seen. And then, uh, 
you know, kind of an interesting dark horse here is Kai Jones from Texas, uh, who Texas went out early in the tournament. Um, but people are starting to talk about him as a top 10 pick just off of the upside. He's another risky guy. So I think, you know, to answer your question, it's just that that whole six to whatever the end of the lottery is, uh, is still very much going to depend on the teams and the pre-draft process. It's going to be an interesting uh, workout season. I think it'll, a lot will hinge on that is the sense I get. Um, and, you know, on down, you know, there are going to be guys who can really help themselves at the combine, uh, maybe more so than in the past, like after the first, that first couple groups. You know, you, you'd say really like 18 through 45 even is, is really, really close. Um, and, you know, with the minimal amount of live basketball a lot of teams have seen, um, you know, the, getting that feel for guys in person, you know, working them out, getting to know them is really going to maybe matter a little bit more, I think, this year. Is there, you know, obviously the tournament's not finished yet. You've still got uh, another week or so to go. But is there a team that or a player that you're hoping – continues on like whether it's that you want to see more of to kind of get a better feel for what he would look like in the NBA or you know GMs executives that you talk to that they want to get a better look of over the next week or so um yeah well you know I mean you could you could say immobile but I I feel like you know at this point we kind of know what we need to know about him um Mm -hmm. but um yeah I mean I've heard different answers uh to this question uh you know I, I think I mean, you could look at Baylor. I think Baylor is an interesting team. You know, they're going to the Final Four. They'll play Houston. Uh, you know, Baylor has, you know, two potential first-round picks with Damian Mitchell and, and Jared Butler, I think. Uh, those are guys who teams are sort of continuing to look at. Um, you know, Mitchell has taken a big leap forward offensively this year. Uh, defensively, he was always quite good. You know, last year he was more of a defense-first guy for them. Uh, but he's really stepped up. Uh, you know, explosive athlete, not super tall. Um, but, you know, I think he is someone who stands to benefit, particularly if, say, you know, say we get a Gonzaga-Baylor final, which is kind of what everyone is hoping for, just for the sake of settling it. I think all year people have kind of hoped that that would happen. And, you know, that game was on, originally on the schedule in December and got wiped because of COVID. Um, but if, say, you have Davion Mitchell guarding Jalen Suggs for a whole game and he locks him up, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, that's something that, you know, it's going to help him. Um, you know, to a lesser extent, you know, Jared Butler on Baylor is a really solid player. Uh, I think he has, his game probably translates a little bit better in terms of offensively uh, to the NBA right now just because he's a little bit better playing pick and roll. He can play off the ball a little bit better than, than Mitchell. I think he's a, probably a more proven shooter. Um, and he's someone who, you know, he's actually kind of had to step aside a little bit and let Mitchell, you know, take a bigger role, which I think is also impressive unto itself. Uh, so, you know, I like both those guys uh, with, with Baylor. And then, you know, the sneaky guy with Baylor is Matt Meyer, uh, who comes off the bench for them. Uh, at power forward, who's kind of a interesting face-up scorer, is still kind of figuring out who he is as a player. Uh, but there are some people who think he might be their best long-term pro prospect. So, you know, that's an interesting team. They're already in the Final Four. They'll be worth watching against Houston. And, you know, while I mentioned Houston, uh, Quentin Grimes has helped himself a bit too uh, with Houston after, uh, you know, starting off at Kansas. And it's a cool story for him uh, to sort of be back on the map. So, Yeah, you know what's a cool story? Kelvin Sampson is a cool story. Mm-hmm. You know, as – you know, being familiar with Kelvin a little bit from his NBA time, uh, it's kind of a, it feels like kind of a redemption arc for him these last couple of weeks. Yeah, man, he's uh, he's done a great job with with Houston. I mean, they're they're so tough. Uh, you know, I've only seen one of their games, but you know, they get every rebound. Uh, they kind of do more with less. Uh, they have an experienced team. Um, you know, Grimes and Dejan Giroux have been great. Uh, I think they'll give Baylor a game. You know, Baylor's uh, not going to be able to. They're going to have to play better defensively than they did against Arkansas. I think uh, in the, in this one. 
Yeah, should be interesting. Uh, Jeremy, appreciate your time, man. Enjoy the rest of the tournament, and I'm sure we will be talking again as we inch closer to July and the NBA draft. No doubt, man. I'll catch you a little later. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.